0: Welcome to the Writer's Write Podcast, the show where every writer has the right to speak their mind. I'm your host, Joshua Howe, and as always, I'll be giving attention to the last thing my guest has written and the writing process is what I usually say, but the world is topsy-turvy right now, upside down, and so um, we're sort of just doing a a podcast that is about several topics of interest to, uh, well, both uh, me and my guest fan base, I suppose, here, if you want to call it that, or Twitter following, maybe put it that way. So, so that's what we're going to do rather than specifically talk about an article. Maybe talk about something that could be an article or could have been an article. Uh, but I digress. Today's guest is one of my Raptors Republic's teammates. You know him very well if you've listened to this podcast in the past. He's one of my good friends and probably the northernmost Raptors fan that you know. It is Anthony Doyle. How are you doing, buddy?
1: I'm doing good. I was just thinking during that intro, it's a good thing you didn't the last thing that I wrote because I don't think I could remember the last thing I wrote. <laughs>
0: It's been a while. <laughs> yeah, man. It, um, it's it's been a while for me too. I f- I feel really rusty when I think about writing about uh basketball stuff and it's it's not a great feeling, but you know oddly enough, the last feature article I wrote had nothing to do with the Toronto Raptors. I wrote a I wrote an article on Andrew Wiggins and how he was going to fit with the Golden State Warriors.
1: I don't know if I read that one, but I'll have to check <laughs> it out. Um yeah, I just Everyone sort – of, like a couple times a week I sit down and I say, okay, I'm going to write something to put something out there to like, you know, get back into bat- thinking about basketball. And I sit there and I try to come up with something to write and I just – I don't feel it because
0: mm-hmm.
1: everything feels kind of meaningless given we don't know when we're getting basketball again or what it's going to look like. It, it does feel like we're getting closer now maybe, but
0: – yeah. Who can say, right? Yeah, everything is kind of hypothetical at this point, um, which is partly what uh, these topics we're going to talk about here are hypotheticals as well. Um, But which, you know, maybe, you know, they're essentially questions about the Raptors season that could have been answered had the season continued um, that might be answered if the season does resume, um, but might be answered differently if the season does resume as well because just everything is all over the place but i am curious like based off of of that what you just said how long has it been since you've thought of basketball like critically because this is something that i've been i've been realizing over the past while like i think about basketball a lot and i i know you do for sure because like it's a big part of our lives and um you know we're uh enormous uh raptors fans and and media members and stuff like that so we uh focus on this stuff on like a day-to-day basis But, like, outside of, like, the larger, you know, storylines and, like, the things we know, like, you know, Siakam's had a bit of an up-and-down season in his first season as the guy and whatever, right? Um, But in terms of, like, the more detailed stuff and, like, thinking about basketball, like, in terms of, you know, more X's and O's or things like that, like, how long has it been since you've actually, like, thought about that kind of stuff? I – it's tough because, like – In an
1: abstract, I try to think about it somewhat regularly still. I try to force myself to do it. But I find myself gravitating when I do towards concepts that still relate back to, you know, this delay in the season or whatever you want to call it. Because it's like, I'll find myself thinking about things like, how does the time off affect a young team versus an old team? How does it, you know... I was thinking the other day about the Memphis Grizzlies mm-hmm. and how this could be really awkward for them because they're a young team who might have made the playoffs. They were in position to do so right now, although you know their schedule to finish the season was pretty tough. They're, you could have expected that they were going to fall out of the race. They were still the eighth seed at the time, I think eighth or seventh, yeah. at the time the, the season went on hiatus. And so... I was thinking, you know, you take a young team like that, you want to be able to treat the playoffs like a trial balloon. You go into a series against a vastly superior team, you get to kind of coach your younger guys through the process of what a playoff series looks like. You get to see them in that environment with that intensity and that, you know, that raised focus on them. And you You get to direct their development a little bit more going forward. When you talk about guys like Brandon Clark and Jaron Jackson and John Morant, Mm -hmm. that's really useful for a young team. I mean, we look back at the Raptors that first year when they, you know, lost to the Nets. That that series, as tough as it was to watch for us, it helped guide the franchise forward, and it helped, you know, Masai direct the way he built around them because he got a picture for what it could look like. And so for Memphis, now you have this two plus month hiatus where you haven't had those young guys in the gym with your coaching staff and your development staff. Maybe they've been working on their games. Maybe they haven't, but it hasn't been that same directed environment. And if you come into a playoff series now, it's, I I have to think for a younger team like that, it's going to be harder for them to immediately build cohesiveness and you won't quite get the same experience. You won't quite get the same information out of it. And it becomes not just about like, this has been where I've been mentally is not this season, but how will this season being broken affect the couple of seasons that follow it? Mm. And that, that's what I've spent a lot of time on because I think when, if we get an ending to this season, what happens is going to be mostly unpredictable. We just don't know because yeah. there's going to be guys who come in out of shape. There's going to be guys who come in with a new skill because they spent all this time working on it. There's going to be you know, teams that come in where the coaching staff is prepared for the hiatus. There's going to be teams where they aren't. And I think you're going to see results that'll feel weird but if you took a critical look coming out of it you'd be able to figure out how we got there but as an outside observer we can't really see a lot of what's going to direct the path for this season but we we can talk about you know how that affects next season right Mm mm-hmm
0: yeah it's interesting like especially like the idea of how older players and younger players and teams are are affected by this, um, just in terms of the layoff and stuff too. Like, there was a, I think probably like an uninterrupted podcast or something that LeBron was on. And he was talking about how even, you know, he's like 35 now. And, uh, he was saying, you know, he was starting to get ramped up for the playoffs, um, when the season, uh, was postponed because, He's older now, and like that's the way his body works. And he was saying it's kind of weird, like you all, you're all you you know getting rolling, and the people remember that the Lakers had racked off a couple big wins against teams that had beaten them before, the Clippers and the Bucks. And LeBron played really well in those games, and he, he was saying it's really strange to go from you know I'm starting to get into playoff mode, we're getting some wins, we're rolling, this is where we want to be, and then all of a sudden you just stop. And he's like, now my body's like telling me things like, what are we doing here? Like, why aren't we, you know, continuing to move, continuing to to continue to ramp up for the playoffs? So like, that kind of stuff I find um, to be fascinating as well, and like, it, it's a little bit concerning too. But you know, when you start trying to go back to finish the season and, and go into the postseason, if the, if that is what happens, because you want to get guys the right amount of time to get into that uh into that spot of being in shape and stuff like that but uh that's going to be a various you know it's going to be varying times for different guys like it just won't be the same for everybody so there's going to be advantages and disadvantages all around you know and then it's that kind of thing that gets people talking about like asterisks and whatever but yeah i don't know so i mean it's a there's a lot of unknowns obviously uh, uh M- money matters too right like oh, yeah, absolutely, if yeah.
1: you're a guy who if you're a guy who's made 100 200 million in your career your house and your own faci- personal facilities are probably going to be better suited to carry you through a two month hiatus with lots of time and space to work on your game than if you're a rookie who's just in the first year of your contract who you know your living situation probably isn't as well set up for that like yeah there's there's all these factors that we aren't used to thinking about with basketball but like you know I saw an article about a month back about Anthony Davis and how his ha- house in LA has a full basketball court well if you're a guy who could afford that mm-hmm. that's that's actually an advantage right now <laughs> you yeah. know
0: yeah yeah and and uh, you know obviously like the money is like obviously a huge thing here in terms of salary cap and stuff too, which nobody really knows what's going on there and how that's going to affect players like Anthony Davis too, right? With you know his upcoming contract decisions that he has to make, um, and and it's it's impossible to make those decisions right now. I would imagine, you know, like even guys well, like, yeah. guys like mean, the Raptors, like who, yeah, who's opting out of a player option this summer? Right. Exactly. Like <laughs> I, I mean, it's just. Yeah, like I, it's it's weird. Like, though, like those are probably givens that you know guys are going to opt in if they have those opportunities. But yeah, like it, it, it just affects everything. Like, and you know, I have no idea now what Fred Van Vliet's free agency is going to look like for the Raptors. That's obviously their number one priority coming the off season. They've mentioned it uh, at, in the regular season um, already, but uh, and like nobody really knows now. Like, obviously the, the plan's the same: is to retain him. But like. Who, who knows now what what exactly that number is going to be, and how hard other teams are going to go after him, and whatever. Well, I mean, what does this mean for Serge Ibaka and Marc Gasol? Exactly. There's, yeah.
1: I mean, it's it's such a weird place to be in because and we also talk about this like there's only two outcomes here. There's either they cancel the season or they they finish the season. Mm-hmm. I think there's a th- third outcome, too, which is they try to restart the season. We see another outbreak, and they're unable to finish the season. And I think that's a much more complicated set of circumstances, and that really changes the way everything plays out for just about everybody.
0: Right. And, um, that, and, and I would like, say, like, that's probably the worst-case scenario, right? I mean, that I'm, I, I'm sure you saw that tweet. I think it was, was it Woj uh, was tweeting about the governors had the meeting, the conference call, and silver Silver, uh, with Silver, and they were talking about just the idea of players having to get used to, you know, some level of risk if, if they're going to be playing and, and stuff like that. And just that whole idea is, uh, it's, both, it's both in a way pragmatic, but also terrifying, right? I mean, uh, and Silver has been one of those people that is constantly saying, like, he doesn't, the, the uh, health of players is first and foremost in his mind. You know, so he's obviously being tentative with a lot of these decisions. Understandably, he's biding his time as much as he can. And yet that might be like if they want to resume the season as soon as they're saying that they want to. I mean, no matter what, there's going to be a level of risk that they're going to have to take. So, you know, like they've already talked about the idea of players possibly testing positive for this uh, while playing. And like that, if that happens, they wouldn't necessarily be shutting down the season again because to start everything back up and then just shut it back down again. Uh, like, who knows? But at the same time, if it happens, I mean, it, may, it might be really hard not to do that. And people have mentioned, like, what what if a LeBron James gets it and all of a sudden he can't play? And, um, you know, that just you know, like, changes everything, you know?
1: What if, Le- what if LeBron tests positive before Game 3 of the Western Conference Finals?
0: Exactly, yeah.
1: Like, uh, Mark Stein just tweeted out there that They've NBA teams have been informed they would be allowed to bring 35 players, coaches, staff into a campus environment if the season resumes. In normal circumstances, team travel parties routinely exceed 50. Mm-hmm. So teams are going to have to cut 15-plus people out of their travel party? Like, who do you cut? Is that medical staff? I mean, yeah. I, I'm just trying to get to 35 here. and You have 15 players on your roster. Mm-hmm. You figure one coach and like minimum of five assistant coaches. Yeah, you're at you're at 21 right there. Well, your medical staff is going to be you know five or six people. Mm-hmm. You're at 27 people. You have eight spots left for absolutely anybody else you need. Well, you need equipment managers. Yep. Like you're getting down to the point where teams are going to have a hard time operating.
0: Yeah. You need PR people. There's a lot There's a lot of people you need, yeah. Like,
1: and, and somebody else tweeted earlier today that we would be in a, a summer league environment if it resumes for the rest of the season, where they'd be mm. running games starting at noon and running late in the night for, for the rest of the season. Players aren't used to that.
0: No, no. <laughs> and, now you,
1: and now you're going from two months of not playing to suddenly this really rushed environment. I, you know, you have to then think about injury risks. And and you're increasing injury risk while you're cutting back on the number of people traveling with the team. Well, what if cutting back on the number of people traveling with the team means less medical staff and trainers? I just, this doesn't seem like it's going to work. It feels like there's too many potential points of failure to me.
0: Yeah, there's there's definitely a lot of those. And I think it's concerning uh, that they're try, trying to push forward anyway it's a little concerning to me I know everyone wants basketball back but uh, I don't know I want I want uh, obviously safe basketball back so you know yeah it's just it's 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 really supremely difficult
1: I don't like I don't feel like people are I, I would be more confident if the league had handled it better wouldn't they initially shut down. And I think sure. it's largely forgotten how badly the NBA handled it in that week when we shut down the season. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that Sacramento Kings game was about to start yep. with a referee who was three days removed from refing a jazz game.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And the league was gonna go forward with that game yep. until the players expressed concern over it. And that was I mean. We knew there were players who tested positive. We knew there were players playing in the games going on that night who had been in contact with those players. That was already past the point of it should have been shut down because you were putting people at risk. And, I mean, there's also the whole thing about, you know, these players, Twitter gets worked up about this when you suggest that it would be hard for players to live in isolation if they build a bubble and people are like, well, they make millions of dollars to play a sport. That's, Uh, you know, a sacrifice they should be willing to make. Let me tell you, as somebody who lives somewhere isolated (laughs) regularly, (laughs) yeah, isolation is hard. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you're doing it for good financial reasons. Isolation is hard. Yeah. And like, you're not talking about taking the players where they're uh, on a normal travel schedule. You you know, the longest road trips in a normal NBA season are guys going away from their family for 15 or 16 days, but then they go home. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: We're now talking two months. That's a pretty big difference. That's going to be hard on these players. And you know, there's even among relatively healthy people, there are risks associated with Coronavirus. There's yeah. the blood clotting issues we've found out about in the last month or two. There's um, this new multi-system failure, failure, organ failure syndrome that's showing up in kids that's been linked to coronavirus. A lot of NBA players have young kids. Yeah. So there's it's taken for granted this idea that just because you're relatively young and healthy, there you're risk free that's just not true yeah it's not and and the other part of it is coaches and medical staffs and people around the teams aren't that young
0: <laughs> no for sure and there's a lot of especially assistant coaches there's a lot of older assistant coaches in the in the league like and the guys you know that are 60 plus and like you know and and i've i've seen a number of uh teams and people on teams being like you know if we restart this um, these guys just aren't coming like we just you know even if they want to we're gonna have to tell them sorry look you're we we're we're too concerned for your health and you're in you know the higher uh risk category and we just you know we want to make sure you're safe so we're not bringing you, you with us and it's like that's really tough for both parties so yeah anyway <laughs> i
1: mean on the on the basketball aspect this is actually interesting to me too, though. Like if we do get this rushed environment of the summer league type environment of playing out the rest of a season, heading into a playoffs in a campus style environment, I'm really interested in we, what I said earlier holds true about players. We don't know which players are going to come in ready to go. Who's going to be better. Who's going to be worse. And, and I don't think we have any way of really knowing that. Yeah. But I but the one that's interesting to me, and I brought this up, I mentioned this to you before we started recording. How is this going to affect coaching staffs?
0: Because mm-hmm.
1: in in my mind, we tend to call coaches good or bad and leave it at that. But coaching's a lot more complicated than that, and there's different types of good coaches, and there's different types of bad coaches. E- everybody, you know, kind of craps on Mike Budenholzer because he's had some issues adjusting in playoff series. Right. Um, but he's mostly a pretty good coach. And what he's good at is he's pretty good at building up, you know, a plan over the course of a season to make his team a successful team. He's less good at the immediate adjustments. You know, for a coach like him, he's had two months to work on what his team's going to do, and he's got the best team in the league. hmm And... What his plan is, other coaches have had two months where they don't get to see that. So his opponents are going to have to be adjusting on the fly a lot more. Yeah. And so I, I I wonder, does that favor a coach like him, or does that favor a coach who's better at adjusting on the fly? And I, I'm really interested in seeing, especially in a situation where teams are going to have smaller coaching staffs, because you aren't going to be able to bring everybody with you. How does that impact outcomes? And I think that'll be an interesting storyline if we do restart. What, do, I, I, Like, which coaches, coaching staffs do you think of as ones that would really succeed in that environment?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's it's definitely um, an interesting topic, and, I, and not one that I considered a lot uh, during time off. But you're definitely right about Budenholzer, um that he's that kind of guy that, you know, giving the time off to game plan – Um, and I'm sure, and like, as uh, I'm sure, you know, and, and everybody listening to this knows if they've ever heard anything, um, with coaches, like even when they have spare time, like coaches are like, like psychotic. Like all they do is think about coaching. Like that's what they do. Um, even when you know the off season is on, all they're thinking about is is you know schemes and x's and O's and, and the next thing, and um you know uh, the new the new guys coming in and the guys returning and all that stuff. So I'm absolutely certain that during this downtime, uh all coaches are still you know preparing for a potential return to play. Uh, I, you know there's a there's a a bunch that um would be interesting for sure. Um, I mean, you know, obviously from a, from a place of bias and having covered the team all season long, like uh, Nick Nurse to me seems like uh, would be, you know, would be good in, in, in that scenario. He's the kind of coach that you would want. He's got a good staff around him as well. But, you know, he's shown that, you know, he's he's a good X's and O's guy. He's got a team that's bought in, uh, especially coming off the championship. You know, I, I think – and, you know, he's good at making game plans as well. Um, he's one of the best coaches in the league in, in terms of um, uh, scoring on plays coming out of timeouts. He's great at drawing stuff up. You know, I think I think the Raptors would be in a pretty good spot with a guy like him. He's, he's a pretty flexible coach as well. He's tried different things. When the season was on, he was trying different things as he's wont to do and <laughs> frustrates a lot of fans by doing so. Um, but, he, you know, he's seen a lot of things with his team that, you know, going into – these types of situations I'm sure he would have loved more time to see other things and how some things play out given more time but you know I, I think he's would be the kind of coach that would be good in these scenarios but you know I think also like at the same time a lot of the coaches that people talk about as like the best coaches in the league um, however you want to quantify that uh, I think most of those coaches would, would still be pretty good going into a situation like this like I imagine Popovich you know, even though the Spurs aren't a great team this season, like he's still going to be, a, I think, a great coach. You know, going into this.
1: I mean, the Spurs making the playoffs would be pretty surprising given where they sit.
0: It would be, it yeah. would be, but yeah, I just mean like, you know, he's the kind of coach that I wouldn't be worried about going into a series like Pop with Pop. Yeah. You know, just e- even with all the stuff going on.
1: And and Nurse hasn't had a like going back to Nick Nurse, he hasn't had a full his full bag pretty much all season he's had guys out he's yeah. had guys hurt yeah um and you have to think the Raptors will be pretty healthy coming out of two months off cause it's hard to get hurt when you're sitting at home yeah um it, it I want to shout out somebody I I can't recall off the top of my head who this was but there was a Raptors writer who a couple weeks ago put out a thread about the Raptors crunch time offense this season
0: oh I think it was and, uh, was it Chris Black
1: Yeah, Chris Black. Yeah. It was a fantastic threat. Their crunch time offense this year has been phenomenal. Yeah. And that should play pretty well. And, you know, you get a guy like Kyle Lowry with some rest going into the playoffs, you probably aren't going to see the rundown Kyle Lowry that's been an issue for Toronto sometimes in the past. Mm -hmm. So I, I think the Raptors would be fine. I think Miami would be really interesting in the playoffs coming out of this.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, great yeah. great coaching staff, team that plays a good hard-nosed style of basketball and they're pretty hard to game plan for already.
0: Yeah. Young but team too. I, yeah.
1: I, it's it's going to be interesting. Like I really badly want basketball back. I just <laughs> don't know what it's going to look like. I I wonder at how If we get a full playoffs, if we get an NBA champion, Mm -hmm. will the perception of that champion coming out of the playoffs be based on how likely we saw that team to win a championship going into the playoffs? Like if the Lakers or the Bucks win, are we going to say, well, it played out pretty much as we expected? But if, I don't know, Dallas or Miami wins a title, I'm not expecting either of those teams to, but if that happens... yeah. Are we going to say, well, this is an asterisk season because it, everything just went to chaos? Like, are our are, are preconceived expectations going to be what decides how we perceive this season coming out of it?
0: Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think so in a way because I don't know. I mean, having expectations going into anything is going to affect the result, right? But, okay. but this especially just because of how uh, unprecedented it is. It's, it's always going to be one of those things, right? So, like, if Giannis and the Bucs don't win the title, and LeBron and the Lakers, they don't win the title. Um, either, if, either... if the
1: Bucks don't win the title, everybody in Wisconsin should just stay off the internet until the yeah. next season starts.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. A hundred percent, yes. But also, like, all of those people that were, all those fans will say, well... The result would be different if the season had played out like a regular season. It's just going to happen. No matter what happens to, you know, whichever teams don't win, that people thought they had a good shot of winning. It's going to happen just because... That this is the way it played out. I mean, it already happens in regular seasons, but just differently, right? They just, people look at like, you know, like the the Harden Chris Paul Rockets. Well, the Rockets would have beat the Warriors if Chris Paul didn't get hurt. Okay, maybe, but we don't know that. We never got to see those games because they didn't happen, because Chris Paul got hurt. Um, but for them, those fans, they are, you know, they're certain in their minds that um, they would have won. That series of Chris Paul didn't get hurt and maybe won a title, and so you know they'll forever think that way. Like every season has um, people that that want to put an asterisk or whatever you call it on on champions. It's just that this is so vastly different from all those in terms of like what is making these outcomes. They're not basketball specific. That's an exterior factor. So uh, I think it's I think it's going to be. I mean, I I could see a more unified front of people saying that, you know, this year would have an asterisk on it. And and even when people say, like, I I also understand the argument of, you know, people want to say that, well, every team is coming into this, you know, uh, not in the best case scenario for them. A lot of teams are coming into this with a bunch of different things going on and a bunch of different issues. And, And that's true, but it's not the same Across the board, you know, like it's it's not one of the things where you can say every team that has the same circumstances coming in and to some larger degree, that's true. But in terms of the smaller details, it's not true. So, yeah, it's you know, there's something to be said for peaking at the right point in the season.
1: And you brought up the Lakers earlier. The Lakers were peaking at the right point in the season. They were peaking, you know, a month before the playoffs and they were awesome right before the season was suspended. And then they had two months off and like chemistry, anybody who's ever played competitive sports at any level understands team chemistry is a really fragile thing. Yeah. Do the Lakers get that back right away when it comes back? I also, you know, something that occurred to me is a lot of these guys, you know, they spend a lot of time around their team, but also they go home every day and they're, you know, they have time away from the team as well. Well, if you create a bubble where these guys have to stay inside the bubble, that's a lot more time around your teammates. That's a lot more time for you to get tired of the things you don't like about people, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's it's like the diff- difference between dating somebody and living with somebody.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's true for sure. I mean, I I don't know why it just popped in my head, but can you imagine the Lob City Clippers being in this situation? Oh man <laughs> Like, oh my goodness, I can't, I, wow, what, you know, the stories that would be told from that scenario. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's different. It's, there, there's so much of this as it's going to be,
1: and then we get a, what's probably going to be a really rushed off season, you know, we're supposed to be in a, a month away from the draft right now, we have no idea when it's happening. Yeah. There's been no combine. There's probably not going to be a summer league. Like, nope. ha- and this is already not looked at as a great draft. So how does this affect all of that? How like, what does next season look like? I. Yeah. When does the NBA look something like the NBA again? Is an interesting question to me.
0: Yeah, and it and it honestly like there's some things that might never be the same, um, and it might be for better or for worse. The schedule is the big one that people are talking about all the time, but yeah. For sure, it'll be different. I do want to get to uh, the um, some of these Raptors questions I had here just to get off the topic of COVID for a bit and, and, how, it's affecting, <laughs> and how it's affecting the league. But, I mean, it's, it's good to talk about. But, um, yeah, so uh, the stuff that I mentioned at the beginning, I have a couple questions here that I just want to talk about with you in terms of the Raptors season. Uh, and, and, yeah, they're, like, questions that right now there are no answers, so it'll be interesting talking about it. But... We may get answers, like I said. They may be different than what would have played out otherwise if the season had been normal. Uh, but yeah, so, okay, so here's here's a basic one and, and one that we've talked about all season long. We might It might not take that long to talk about, but you and I, I think we've talked about this before, but the question is, can Siakam be the best guy over a seven-game series? And yeah, I mean... This is, this is something that people, like, this is the question of the season, right, in terms of development. Um, obviously, OG is one of the guys that we uh, everyone has looked at uh, this season as, like, okay, OG's got to develop. But Siakam has been the guy that, you know, they gave him the contract. He is the man on the team now. Can he, over the course of his season, um, get himself in the spot where once the playoffs come, he can be the best guy and, you know, help his team win a playoff series?
1: Can he? I think yes. I don't think it's a sure thing. Mm-hmm. I would I would feel more confident in the Raptors winning a playoff series if Siakam didn't have to be the best player every game. I, I think the more games where he has to be the best player on the floor, the less likely the Raptors are to come out of that successfully. Because I, I, I think this team is built more to be the – The sum of the parts has to, or the sum has to be better than the parts for the Raptors. I'd agree. Yeah. And I mean, the good news is Kyle Lowry teams typically have been better than the parts. Yeah. But, you know, uh, one of my big watershed moments this season that I think back on is always going to be that Lakers game in November. Mm -hmm. Um. And we can talk about how good Chris Boucher was in that fourth quarter and Rondé Hollis-Jefferson coming through and Terrence Davis having some absolutely huge um, moments. But the big thing to me was, in those last couple minutes, Pascal Siakam was better than LeBron James and he was better than Anthony Davis. Yeah, And that was huge. That was the moment where I kind of realized, like, this is what he can be as a player. But as we saw over the course of the season, when he tried to do that regularly, it went badly almost as much as it went well. And that's not a knock on Siakam. It's a hard thing to make that adjustment. Mm -hmm. And it's entirely possible that giving him this two months off where he can sit there and look at film of when it went right, when it went wrong. Because I think some of it was decision-based. Some of it was he can shoot those above the break threes now. He can shoot them pulling up. He fell in love with that a little bit at times, and as much as that's great to have in his toolkit, the reason I love him as a pull-up three-point shooter is because it makes guys guard him out there, which opens up room for his drives. Right. To me, the pull-up three is never going to be as good of a weapon as the drive for Siakam, and he should use those shots to open up the drives, not use the drives to open up the shots, and I think he his process was wrong at points during the season. So maybe going back and being able to look at that and figure out that, you know, he's still more dangerous when he's attacking allows him to take a little bit more of a step forward. I, we can hope for that, but at, at the end of the day, I just would hope that in, in a big Raptors playoff series, like you get them in a series against Boston or Milwaukee in the East, or they make the finals. hmm you want Pascal Siakam to be able to pick his moments. You want the other guys to be stepping up enough that he doesn't have to force it.
0: Right, and so, and that's one of the interesting things about the season. And there's so many interesting things to talk about with Siakam's game for, from this season, just because it was such a big, another big step forward for him. And um, as we've talked about in the past, you know, growth isn't linear. If you zoom out and look at Siakam's career, it seems that way. It seems like, well, he started, you know, having barely played basketball. And then he got over here and um, was with the G League team, the Raptors 905, and helped them win a title. And then he came to the parent club and didn't do too much right away, but then became part of the bench mob. And then all of a sudden, the next uh, thing you know, he's one of the most efficient players, role players, helping, uh, you know, uh, a title team. And now he's the man on the team. It seems linear, but it's not. There's a lot of things going on during all those major events that you know he he had to take a step back at times doing certain things, and then and then he would take the step forward to improve it, and and then there are other things to step back. So it's not surprising that this season was up and down, a bit of a roller coaster for him at all. It's just people notice it more now because he's in the spotlight, I, and and yeah. So I imagine I'll be perfectly honest, like especially after the last postseason, I think. Um, the playoffs would be a bit of a struggle for him at times because he is going to always see the best defender, which is, you know, he that happened to him last postseason too, but he struggled in a lot of those uh, scenarios. And, you know, Nick Nurse likes to have Siakam on the block uh, posting up against guys uh, to try and get him going that way a lot of the time. And, and I think he, he's tried some different things over the course of the season in different scenarios to to uh, get himself going when it's it's been tougher for him but you know there's there's also been a lot of times where he's just tried to force things and that hasn't gone well especially against better defenders I mean if you're posting up say like a Ben Simmons in the post uh, it's probably not going to go super well for you you know uh, th- stuff like that so yeah, I, I would agree with you that, like, he can be the best guy in a seven-game series. Will he be for a full series? I think typically he wouldn't because I don't think that's the way this Raptors team is built. You know, there's games where Lowry can be the best guy, too, although usually when he's the best guy on the floor, it's more subtle. But, yeah, like, I think it's, like, it's typified by, like, you remember, like, a Nurse really only broke this out um, the last kind of few games we saw. Uh, from the Raptors uh, before the season went into hiatus. But we got to see a little bit of the Lowry-Siakam pick-and-roll, which essentially was is the Raptors' death knell play. It's their, this is this is how we win play with Lowry sitting the screen and Siakam uh, with the ball in his hands. And, and a lot of those plays worked out extremely well and, and helped the Raptors close games. And I think it's something that Nurse was testing a little bit and, and wanting to use uh, as more of a weapon come the playoffs. Um, but but it's a, it's a very like i very much a play that typifies you know the Raptors need to work together, you know they can't just be isolating Siakam, and, and he's just not at that point yet. I'm not sure he ever will be. But certain games, sure. But um, certain moments, you know, you need a bucket. Maybe he can do it. But you know, you you can't be doing that all the time. He's he's not Kawhi Leonard. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I, and I also like
1: when we talk about last year's playoffs people talk a lot about the games where he struggled. Yeah. We don't talk enough about how good his good offensive games were. Like game one against Philly, he put up 29 on 15 shots. Yeah. Uh, Game, game one against the Warriors, 32 on 17 shots. Yeah. And some of those were games where Kawhi struggled a little bit. Some of the games where Kawhi looked like he didn't have it. Siakam was massive. Like the, Game one against the Warriors, the Raptors do not win that game and probably don't win the title if Pascal Siakam doesn't destroy Draymond Green. Yeah. And Draymond Green's one of the best defenders of the last, like, 30 years of basketball.
0: Yep. Yeah, and he was uh, really good in game six as well. Uh, everyone remembers that as the Kyle Lowry game because of how hot Lowry started off, and Lowry did play really well, but Siakam also played really well in that game. And that was another game that Kawhi was kind of like, he was, you know, he was okay in. He was, he was good. But he yep. was—he wasn't—he didn't look necessarily like superstar Kawhi that we saw in some other games. So,
1: yeah. like Siakam was guarded in the playoffs by Jonathan Isaac, Joel Embiid, Giannis, and Draymond Green. Yep, that's like four of the top ten defensive players in the entire league. Yeah, and and yet he had thirty point games in nearly every series. Like he, we could talk about the games where he struggled. But there were also points where he was just awesome. And, you know, like you said, growth isn't linear. We forget that this is still a guy who three years ago we winced when he dribbled a basketball.
0: Yeah. Yep. I mean, it it wasn't even really until this season that we were sure that shooting the three-pointer would be something that he could do uh, even at a league average, which is basically where he's at now. But he's at league average on, like, good volume, you know? Yeah, I mean, last
1: year, 68% of his three-point attempts were corner threes. Yep. And, like, 97% of his threes were assisted or last year. Yeah. This year, 64% were, were assisted, 23% were corner threes. And he still shot, like, what, 36% from three? He completely changed what type of shots he takes. And he was still a good shooter. Like we, we want guys to just like make these leaps and become and and everything to stick, but that's not how it works.
0: No, it's funny too, that um, it's, it's funny to me that people seem to expect this from Siakam, I guess, based on uh, his career trajectory thus far, but Histo- siakam is an outlier uh you know the improvements that he's made are historical like we you don't see this from nBA players almost ever so to expect even more from him than what he's already done it comes across as a little a little much to me um i mean like just just be like at some at some level you just have to be impressed at where he's at and how quickly he's managed to do it and, and it's not yeah, like, I- and it's not like I won't say that he won't continue to improve um i think it's it's you know, it's uh, for sure you should expect him. To, you know, I think you can expect him to continue to improve, but at the same time, you know, don't expect him to be a LeBron James level player all of a sudden just because, you know, he won the most improved player last season uh, and helped win a championship, you know.
1: And, and this is my favorite Pascal Siakam stat, and I've tweeted this one a couple of times. In the three point era, here's the list of players to have a 35 5 game in the NBA Finals. Well, in one of their first three NBA seasons. Magic Johnson, Dwayne Wade, Shaq, and Freddie Hardaway, and Pascal Siakam. That's the entire list. (laughs) Wow. We want, as much as we want Siakam to be better, what he's already done in his career as, like, a fourth-year player is incredibly remarkable. Yeah. Um, I... I Part of me wonders if some of the residual backlash on Siakam this season when it's been there hasn't been partially about the fact that the Paul George stuff last summer. Because um, when I think about that, when I think about the way that all came out, the way that it came out, the Clippers traded for George at the same time as Kawhi signed because Kawhi made that happen, that Kawhi tried to press, pressure the Raptors to maybe trade for Paul George – I think some people read that as thinking that what was happening was Kawhi was saying that Siakam wasn't a good enough running mate, running mate, and he needed a better second option. Hmm. I don't think that's what that's what Kawhi was saying. No, me either. Um, this is this is something you and I have talked about on Switching Screens. Um, I think Kawhi was going to the Clippers no matter what happened. Yep. I think the Raptors stuff was about Kawhi. Exercising leverage on the Clippers to get them to make the Paul George trade because he wanted Paul George there. I don't think Kawhi ever actually wanted Paul George in Toronto, but he needed to use that to get the Clippers team he wanted.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things, right? Like, what what if you had been if you had asked Kawhi and been able to get an actual candid answer at the time? Like, if you could bring, you, you know, if you could bring guys from the Raptors with you to Los Angeles. Like, would you bring those guys and be happy with that? I bet you he would say yes. I don't really think it was yeah, a guy. Yeah. I think he just wanted another teammate that could help him win. And George was, like, one of the players that, like, that could actually feasibly happen.
1: He wanted to be back in L.A. And that's, like, uh, uh, I mean, all I've been saying ever since he signed there was I can't be mad at him for what he did because I understand what he was doing. And I don't yeah. think it was about the Raptors at all. And that's fine.
0: Yeah 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 no for sure yeah so I mean
1: the one the one the one thing I will ask you about Siakam though yeah is um what do you make of his drop in two-point percentage this
0: season mm-hmm.
1: and do you think that that's concerning at all
0: I mean I don't know concerning I mean a little bit maybe I mean so largely that drop is due to his mid-range game right that Which is interesting because I remember before the season started that there was questions about Siakam obviously as the guy and there's some stuff we needed to see from him, including um, a more consistent three point shot which he's shown us and a mid range game which would be important because all elite players for the most part you know they're at least able to have some form of mid range game uh, coming out of the pick and roll or whatever what what have you. I, I thought that would be extremely important for like a guy like Siakam to hey maybe he gets into the pick and roll. You know, his man sags off a little bit because of the shooting thing. Uh, they're afraid about him driving. You know, the roll man is, is covered, and he gets to the free throw line, and he's able to just dribble and pull up and, you know, knock down a 10-footer kind of thing. And and that's stuff that he's tried uh, a lot throughout the season. Like, he, he's done a lot of, um, especially coming out of the post, but he's done a lot of, like, fall-away jumpers is one of his favorite things, um, which he's kind of hit or miss on and and he's tried some different uh you know longer jumpers and 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 whatever and what have you but um and some push shots and things like that that are kind of siakam specials but he's taking a lot more of those and he just isn't the lead at those at least not yet and it's brought down his percentage a fair amount am i concerned about it i don't know maybe i mean in the playoffs yeah um if he's already not if he's already struggling with those in the regular season i imagine it'd be uh, you wouldn't want him taking a lot of those in the playoffs. Like, I wouldn't be thrilled if Siakam just started taking, you know, like five turnaround jumpers a game kind of thing, um, especially when he's out of rhythm or they're just trying to get him into rhythm, because those are tough shots. And and those are the kind of shots that separate elite players from non-elite players. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where it's like it's concerning a little bit in the present because he's just not there yet with that kind of stuff. But at the same time, you, you kind of expect him to work on it because it's one of those things that, you know, I'm sure he's been told that this is the kind of stuff you need to do to get to that next level. So he's, he's trying, he's working on it, he's developing. So um, And you can only hope that he's going to continue to get better there. So um, present day, I would say, yeah, a little concerning, but going forward, I actually think it's probably good for his development. Yeah, I think the
1: development I'd like to see is I'd like to see his free throw rate come up a, lo- a little bit. Sure, he's yeah. such a hard player to defend. He's got a very crafty game. He should draw more fouls. And yep. I think sometimes he plays away from contact, which is weird, because even for a pretty skinny guy, he's really strong. Mm-hmm. And I think there's places where he can play into the contact more and use that to open up his game and put in spots where he's struggled. But that's, you know... That could open up a little bit more of the good two-point shots. But that's that's something that sometimes takes some work because he's still adjusting to having those tighter coverages come at him. And the tighter coverages are where teams become prone to foul.
0: Yep. I mean, the other thing, too, with Siakam is, I think to get to this next level um, and what you're talking about and something that would help him draw more fouls and get to the free throw line more often is, yeah, definitely don't be as contact-averse. We've seen that work out. Big time for a lot of like some other players, you know, that we've been watching this season, like Jason Tatum and Norman Powell also on the Raptors. But like one of the things that I think is huge for him next phase is and and Blake Murphy has talked about this before. So I'm not like saying anything new here, but becoming more of a manipulator as a passer rather than a reactionary passer. And like if you need evidence of how that can, uh, you know, just change things for a player. It offensively like you, all you have to do is go back on the Raptors own team and look at DeRozan the year that he became, you know, an elite playmaker, really um, one of the better um, playmakers in the league. And like that's just became his MO. He figured that out. And all of a sudden, now that he has this threat of being able to, to pass at the right moments, like guys have to think differently and, and it gives you, you know, different levels of space. All of a sudden they'll sag off more or they'll tighten up more or whatever they do. And because of that threat, you know players are able to to they have more options and all of a sudden siakam would have uh, different things he could do to take uh, advantage of that situation so i think that's also one of the next big things for him and that could it could be one of the things that helps him get to the free throw line too more right if got if if he's got defenders on him making more mistakes it'll be easier for him to take advantage of those and get to the get to the free throw line
1: siakam is a he's a good passer I sometimes think maybe he looks like a worse passer because with uh, um, Mark Gasol and Kyle Lowry on the Raptors, <laughs> he's been, like, with two, two of the smartest passers in the league. Yeah. But I, the way I've phrased it before is like good passers pl- pass to where the defense is guarding you right now. Yep. Great passers pass to where the defense is going to be guarding you five seconds from now. Yeah. And like – Watching Kyle Lowry is a great way to to read this. Like, when Kyle Lowry passes in transition, he doesn't pass to the coverage that you're seeing. He passes to the coverage that you're going to be seeing. And that's why sometimes he makes these passes that end up looking pretty simple. But all of a sudden, somebody's got an open dunk yep. because he sees where the gap is going to be. Yeah. And Siakam sees the gaps that are there. He doesn't see the gaps that are coming.
0: Right. And I I think that's That's something, I think, and I think he, like, he's a pretty good passer already, like you're saying. Like, I think he's got the instincts for it. Like, I think he can figure that out. Because it used to be that, it was another thing with Siakam, right? It used to be that, like, you get nervous having the ball in his hands too much. You you wouldn't want him being the primary playmaker. And then he was kind of allowed to have some situations where he was the playmaker, mostly in, like, transition, running down the floor, because, uh, you know, him sprinting the floor was one of the best parts of his game. Um, And, like, kicking out to, like, guys on the wing, like... uh, two seasons ago Danny Green that was something that Danny loved to do was spread out to the wing on transition Siakam's coming down the floor and you know the one defender back comes out to hit Siakam and he kicks it immediately to Danny Green on the wing and and like those those kind of situations like Siakam's good at those and really this is the first season where with all this attention on him all the time and, and being put in these scenarios he's uh, being asked to like make some of these passes that like that he's made before but just with all this attention on him now and he's just not there yet like you're saying at, at that next level but like i think because we've seen that progress um it's a spot that he could get to
1: and and some of that is also the raptors being healthy because yeah yeah, yeah. when you're when you're playing through you know, three guys down, like the Raptors have been a lot this season. That becomes the difference between Siakam kicking out to a corner with, you know, Norman Powell, OG Ananobi, Fred Van Vliet standing there. Yeah. Uh, suddenly instead instead of those guys, it's Patrick McCaw, Rondé Hollis Jefferson, you know, yeah. it's, it's, that's just not the same thing. And the, the Raptors have a lot of really good three-point shooters, but those are the guys who have been getting hurt. Yeah. If, If you're building an offense where the guys that Siakam has in the quarter, it's always you know Norm, Fred, OG, Terrence Davis, who's been fantastic this season. Mm -hmm. If those are the guys who are always spacing the floor for you, there's a lot of space to work with because defenses you can't leave those guys alone. The Raptors can play lineups where like in their top. Ten players in minutes played this season. The only guys who shot below thirty-five percent from three were Patrick McCaw and ronde Hollis Jefferson. Yeah, and, and you know Chris Boucher didn't shoot well from three this season, but he's still pretty dangerous. Yeah, and then you've got and then you've got Matt Thomas in twelfth, who's the best shooter in NBA history.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah, funny, like, right? Like the Raptors, like have built like they already had this team, obviously, like um, mostly built from the championship team from last season, but they have a bunch of good shooters on this team. Um, their real problem is a lack of creators. And then it's something like we're we're going to get to in a, in a second here, but like, you know, lineups where you have Siakam out there and you have the ball in his hands and he's surrounded by shooters. It's still an exciting lineup, you know, like having Siakam out there with Fred and Lowry and, you know, guys that uh, are able to relocate and space and, and, um, and, and knock down pretty much any open shot that that you can give them like they're not like necessarily all just corner specialists that's like a pretty scary lineup to be honest so it's it's like the raptors they already had uh, obviously a really good team so um shifting siakam to this to the focal point where he's still surrounded by his shooters it's i mean that's a we've seen that kind of um that plan work out for a lot of other teams with their stars and obviously stars that are on a higher level than Siakam, but like, you know, that's the plan with Giannis is Giannis is so great and needs to get to the rim and stuff like that. So surround him with shooters. Same thing with LeBron. It's always kind of been like that with guys that are, are really good at getting to the rim and are athletic and long and strong. Yeah. When
1: I was looking at this the other day, uh, Lowry and Siakam played 116 minutes with Terrence Davis this season. Mm -hmm. And in those minutes, the Raptors had a 122.7 offensive rating and a plus 21.9 net rating. (laughs) Uh, um, Wow. I know, like, it's hard to know where Terrence Davis is going to sit in the rotation if, you know, we have a playoffs and the Raptors are healthy. Mm -hmm. We could talk about Patrick McCaw and how he takes minutes that maybe he shouldn't. But uh, in my opinion, Davis needs to be in there because – when he's playing with those other guys, he's he's so good. And he's so good at, for a young player understanding where his teammates want him to be. This is one of the things that I really love about watching Terrence Davison on film. When he plays with Kyle Lowry, you watch Lowry sometimes with certain teammates. He gets frustrated because he's passing to where he expects those teammates to be. And those guys aren't reading where Lowry wants them to
0: be. Mm-hmm.
1: And... I don't think that happens with Davis. Davis seems to be really good at understanding you know what Lowry is capable of and making sure he's in a position where he can he's in a position where Lowry can put him in a position to succeed
0: yeah, so that, that was actually one of my questions was who would have been the eighth man in the playoffs? Uh, another unknowable question for sure, but it's like you're saying so I mean like we both know. And I think most Raptors fans know who they want uh, to be in that spot, which is Terrence Davis. And part of the appeal is, like you're saying, um, I've looked at him throughout the season as essentially like a Norman Powell light uh, player. He does a lot of the same things. His game is really pretty similar. Um, He's just a lot younger. You know, he's he's extremely good at spot-up shooting, pretty good at roving. He's a very athletic player. Um, dangerous on the break, um, some you know has some skill in the half court. Uh, he can do a little bit of creation here and there. Um, you still don't want him as the primary playmaker most of the times, but you put him in lineups uh, like the same thing with Norm, where he succeeds the best is you put him in units with other creators, and you know you have him be a spot up guy or you have him uh, running out on the break and, and being a finisher that kind of stuff like that's that's what he's great at he's and he's a he's a pretty good defender too for a for a rookie um he makes so yeah. he, he
1: to go back to the norman powell comparison yeah his defense his defensive mistakes are also very similar to norm's defensive <laughs>
0: mistakes yes that that's true yeah <laughs> like sometimes i wonder if they just like had a they, they like they clone Norm. like i wonder if norman davis like, do they see that, do you think? That'd be a fascinating thing to ask them. I wish I was able to ask them that. But I wonder if they see that, like, how similar their games are. It's, it, you know,
1: I, I think a lot about, I've I, I spent a lot of time over the years thinking about the genius of Masai Ujiri, But I think one of the things that, like, I really love about what Masai has done is when he's looking for players to add to the Raptors, he's done such a great job at, of finding players that Lowry can utilize. And yeah. like, even when we're, we were talking about Siakam, like Siakam started as that type of player. He started as the type of player that Siac that Kyle Lowry can turn into a weapon and he's become his own weapon. But that's, that seems to be the MO of the Raptors is like, they have this guy who can create offense, who can make his teammates better. So they go out, they look for players who are easy for Lowry to make better. And, you know, like, Norm, he's a good spot-up shooter. He's great in transition. Mm-hmm. He loves to run the floor. Well, that's perfect for Lowry. Yeah. He, You know, you initiate the offense with Gasol or Lowry getting a rebound, getting the ball at the backcourt. You move fast up the court and you've got guys who are in the right place where if there's a gap in the defensive coverage in transition you're getting a dunk if there isn't you're finding the open shooter that's those are the type of guys who the raptors keep finding and that's how you mm-hmm. ended up with you know from Terrence Ross to Norman Powell to Terrence Davis now
0: mhm yeah it's, it's he's I I
1: know I, I know Masai didn't actually draft Terrence Ross but
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i mean it He's definitely he's one of those players that right he's a he's a cog type player right he's a I mean a role player I guess is a more common term but I like if you're thinking of it in terms of like a larger machine which is or or an orchestra or something it's always easier to think of it that way for me watching Kyle Lowry because Lowry is the engine or the maestro he's the guy that makes everything go and you know you put those pieces around him that have those specific skills. Um, But are very good at them and smart enough to know how to utilize them in tandem with Kyle Lowry. Like he'll make it work, and all of a sudden, it you know, a team that maybe looked like it shouldn't be as good as it is 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 overachieving, uh, if you want to put it that way, which has been kind of the Raptors' story for most of Lowry's tenure uh, with the team. Eight,
1: what is it now? Nine straight years they've they've hit the over on um, Vegas win loss.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, which is. I mean, um, some of these years it's been great. I mean, the, the 46.5 or whatever it was for this season was always insane to me.
1: Yeah. It, I mean, everybody who follows me on Twitter knows that I'm a huge Kyle Lowry fan and I I've, I spend a fair bit of time arguing that Kyle Lowry should be viewed as a much better player than what he's p- commonly reviewed as. But, like, yes. Jacob Goldstein, who I love, who created PIPM, yep. Player Impact Plus Minus, he put out about a month ago or so, a comparison of um, Kyle Lowry's peak uh, or career uh, player impact plus minus versus Isaiah Thomas. And Isaiah Isaiah Thomas, the Detroit Pistons version, not the Celtics version, um, is widely viewed as like a top three or four point guard of all time.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And, And yet, if you put his career up against Lowry's in an impact stat, Lowry's is better.
0: Yeah, not
1: not comparable, but better. And like, have you ever heard Lowry? If you tweeted out right now, Kyle Lowry is one of the five best point guards of all time. You would get mocked mercilessly. And Mm -hmm. I don't know that Lowry should be in that conversation. You know, I'd have to sit down and play. But I know that the guys who if you made a list of the top five to ten point guards of all time, I know that there's the guys in there who Kyle Lowry has impacted the game as much as those guys.
0: Yes. Yeah, it's one of these things like and sp- so speaking of this, like this type of comparison. Like there was one I saw a little while ago. Um and usually I stay away with them cuz you know, talking about Lowry on the internet uh with people who don't watch the Raptors consistently is always a difficult thing. But there was someone who had poll going about, you know, who's had it was I think it was just the better player or whatever. Whatever they wanted to put it, but they were comparing Carmelo Anthony's career to Kyle Lowry's. And those are two completely different types of players, completely. But in terms of winning and impact on winning, I mean, it's not even close. Like Kyle Lowry, in that, if you're looking at his career that way, or you're looking at him as a player in that way, is a vastly superior player to Kamala Anthony, which to most people would seem crazy. Because, I mean, Melo in his prime was, you know, one of the best scorers in the NBA, um, and he's been one of the best scorers in NBA history, really. I mean, he's racked up tons of points. That's what he does. But they're different players, right, in terms of, you know, Kyle Lowry's the kind of guy that he makes everyone around him better. He will maximize who you give him. Um, whereas Melo is kind of the other way, where you put him on a team and the other guys around him, um, you know, he's not going to maximize those guys, but you can maximize Carmelo Anthony by whoever you put around him. So it's just different, right? That's That's what's always... That's what I
1: love about him is most great players, they they expect the guys who come into their team to mold themselves to that player's game. I mean, you know, if when we talk about a LeBron team and their offseason, we always talk about all the players coming to LeBron's team and how they fit with what LeBron does. Mm-hmm. We never really talk about that with Kyle Lowry. We never, we, I, you know, no. n- nine years he's been a Raptor. I can't remember a single conversation about a guy coming in and us talking about, well, this guy makes Lowry better. But every season, Lowry reinvents his game a little bit to be the optimal player for what the team needs him to be. I mean, with DeRozan, he was the secondary scorer and sometimes score took over more as The assignments needed it. I mean, you think about Game 7 against Miami in that playoff series Mm -hmm. where he just offensively took over. Well, Kawhi Kawhi comes to the Raptors. The Raptors don't need him to be as big of a scorer with Kawhi there and with Siakam breaking out. So what does Lowry do? He becomes more of a facilitator. He puts more of his energy into the defensive game, into making those guys succeed more. Kawhi leaves as a free agent. The Raptors are concerned about how they Lowry all of a sudden becomes a much better scorer again. He makes... His game fit with the people around him, and that's not what your best player is supposed to do. Mm. But that—that's what makes him great.
0: Yeah, he's not—he's not a star in the traditional sense. I think is the problem here. I think people get caught up in a lot of like the idea of what a star should be, and for a lot of people, that's not what Lowry does. um But at the same time, he is a star because he—he Im- he impacts winning. The stuff he does. Is is winning basketball. It's hard. It's like hard to say. You know, explain it. Other than that, I mean, you know, he's he's the guy that makes everything run. I mean, he's he's not. It's not flashy. It's not in your face. It's not obvious, um, like it is with some uh, star players and transcendent talents and stuff like that. But Lowry just knows how to win a basketball game, and he's really really good at doing that stuff, um, and molding his game no matter what he needs to do to make that happen, which is fascinating right because everyone's always looking for uh those those high level talents in in terms of like like the flashy stuff comes into it right like the extreme athleticism you know the high flying dunks and and the uh sniping three-point range and, and stuff like this um stuff that's obvious guys that can score in isolation things like that and and I think guys like Lowry that like have those types of games. That's partly why they're overlooked, is because like they're not just like isolating a ton in every game. Even though past versions of Lowry did do that, you know that's it's it's just not something that people seem to prioritize.
1: It's largely forgotten that he was like a Steph level
0: pull up shooter for two years. Oh my god! Kyle, so the the Lowry, uh, <laughs> wh- how do you say it? the Pujits, the pull the pull up yeah. jumpers in transition which is one of my favorite acronyms, NBA acronyms of all time. Um, Like that is like Kyle Lowry's acronym. Like he essentially like invented it. Like every time he, like there were, yeah, those two seasons, he would come down the floor and everybody's running around. It's just chaos. and It's transition. And if there was nobody stepping up to the three point line, he was knocking down a three every single time. He was the best in the league at it. I mean, and those, those, these are things nobody thinks about, you know, but he was, he's an incredible player. Anyway. One of my
1: favorite Lowry stories that I saw recently was uh, what Jordan Lloyd tweeted about him oh, yeah. a little while back. Yeah, that was this season. He, he said, you know, after, I think it was game, fu- game four or game five of the NBA Finals. Yeah. And uh, he said that after the game, he was smiling. And Lowry walked up to him and said, what are you smiling about? We still got to get two more. Mm. And like, he's the 13th man. He's the random guy in the suit in the Kawhi picture. Mhm. Uh-huh. But Lowry was wanted him to be focused on winning because that's like that's who Lowry was. And even just the fact that Jordan Lloyd told that story says a lot about Lowry. Like this is a guy who isn't on the Raptors anymore. He's not Kyle Lowry's teammate anymore. No. But he went out of his way to tell a story about of, about like how good of a leader Lowry was because that's the impact he Lowry leaves on every guy. I mean, You go back and you watch Kawhi interviews from last year, where he talks about Lowry. Every time he's talking about how Kyle is the guy making him fit on the team, Mm -hmm. and this is Kawhi Leonard. This is a guy who last year might have been the best player in basketball. Yeah, and he's giving the credit to to Kyle. That's, I mean, you know, we we could sit here and talk all day about Kyle Lowry. This is. (laughs) I don't I sometimes say that you know we need to look for more than just how other players view players but at the same time a lot of people put a lot of stock in that and every player who has ever been a teammate of, of Lowry has talked about how much they love him even guys who just like were with him on an Olympic team or at an All-Star game you know he, LeBron has talked about Lowry being dangerous in a playoff series even though LeBron has destroyed Lowry in the playoffs yeah um you know, Giannis called him at the All Star game last year. He said that guy stole the trophy from me. Mm
0: hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I, it, that's been one of the, that's one of the interesting like kind of subplots with Lowry's career is that a lot of those uh, a lot of the like the criticism all seems to come. It's all exterior, right? You almost never hear players in the actual league uh, criticizing Kyle Lowry. Almost never. It's always no, fans I, and media.
1: And even, like, the All-Star game last year, or this year, after all the stuff with him taking charges in the fourth quarter and stuff like that, a lot of fans were like, this is dumb, this doesn't belong in an All-Star game. The players loved that fourth quarter.
0: Yeah, because Kyle Lowry wants to win.
1: <laughs> um, like So, I, I don't know. I This, I, I just on a slightly different note, I was thinking about something this morning with this Raptors team is, when I look at how fans are reacting to the possibility of a cancelled season right now. Yeah. A lot of teams that are contenders, their fans have a lot of angst about this season. You know, obviously Lakers fans have the angst because we don't know how long LeBron's prime has left. Bucks fans with Giannis's free agency at some point. The one fan base that doesn't really seem to have any angst about whether or not this season's cancelled seems to be like it's the Raptors fans. Which is weird because like the Raptors really... It's not a; they aren't going to be the favorites, but they could win another championship this year. They've been good enough that that's a real conversation. Yeah,
0: yeah. But
1: I mean, it seems it seems like we as a fan base just aren't like if it gets canceled, it gets canceled.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure why that was because I, during the season, I remember there were so many people, um, and like so, my position hadn't changed a ton. But this goes into one of the other questions that I have here. Um, my, my position hadn't changed a ton that I didn't think um, they were necessarily a, a title contender based on what I'd seen. But there were so many people every time I would make that have that opinion, they would, they would love to be like, well, but look how good they are. You know, they're, and they're overachieving and all this stuff. And then it would get to the question, which is this question here, which has been my question all season. What's the overall ceiling of the team? And we don't know because... The injuries, we didn't get to see it. Uh, We we got to see a tiny glimpses of it throughout the season, and that team was really, really good. But based on the schedule, based on the injuries, we never got a good idea of this version of the Raptors, like what that ceiling is and just how far they could go. And we kind of have to go off of just like last season, what we we saw guys do this season, uh, what we've seen guys do kind of individually and as part of small groups, um, what they're able to do. But yeah, it's 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 one of those questions, that, and it's, it's it's one of those things that I've I've thought about a lot. Is like I don't know, maybe those people are right, and maybe the Raptors are true contenders once they're all healthy and together. But I but I haven't seen that, so I I, I just I hesitate to say that that's what they actually are, you know.
1: Yeah, we we talked about this a few times on switching screens, you and I. Yeah. And where I've stood for most of the season on this is I think this Raptors team can take four games in a seven game series off of anybody in the league. I don't where I struggle a little bit is I don't know if they can get to 16 because like to do it once is one thing to do it three times in a row, which was probably what they're looking at. I mean, you're probably looking at Boston in the second round, Milwaukee in the uh, conference finals and like, one of the L.A. teams in the NBA Finals. So that's three times in a row that you've got to beat a really good team. That feels like a little bit too much for me. And yeah. like, I, I'm not saying I don't think they can win. I don't, I'm not saying there's one of those three series that I don't think they can win. I'm just saying... The margin is small enough that I think that in one of those three series, enough goes right for the other team and enough goes wrong for the Raptors that they don't get through it. And I could be wrong. I just, like, that Bucks team is really, really good. The mm-hmm. Boston Celtics are really, really good. And you can't rule those teams out of any series either. So could the Raptors win another title this year? Yeah. Do I think it's going to happen? I would say probably not. I'm, a, you know, I, I it doesn't feel great saying that because they're. I think I I would want to pick them to win any series. Sure. I I wouldn't feel terrible picking them to win any series. Mm-hmm. But I my gut would have to go with. I think if I had to pick a, a champion right now, it would be either an LA team or the Bucks.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I fall into kind of the same camp. And the the problem for me is really, I mean, the the problems that we've seen the Raptors all season long, which are, well, like one of two things. I mean, like if you go into a series against, you know, a Giannis, for example, in the Eastern Conference Finals, last season, at the very least, you had a player that was comparable to Giannis, probably better than Giannis, and was for the entirety of the series in Kawhi Leonard. And that was still an extremely hard-fought series. Raptors fans love to talk about, you know, the they essentially the Raptors they won four straight games, so that people make sweeping jokes and stuff all the time. But the Raptors were really, really, really close to being down three-zero in that series, and that would have been completely different. And this is with a Kawhi Leonard on the team, you know, just going against a guy that that's, that's that good is is always going to be tough. And you know, like you're you're it, it's hard to beat the team that has the better player. It's just a difficult thing to do. You can do it, but it's its a very difficult thing to do. Um, the Raptors are no strangers to entering series that way. Last year was really the first uh, postseason that they had, like, the best guy going into pretty much every series. And, yeah, it's different. And then I'd add to that, that the Raptors have, like, w- at least one glaring concern with their roster, which is, uh, you know, offensive creation. They really only have a few guys that are able to actually create things consistently. And throughout the season, we saw a lot of either, I mean, a lot's being put on those guys' shoulders to make that happen. And some of those guys are older, like Gasol or Lowry. But also at the same time, you know, it, 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 especially depending on the lineups, Nurse has to be careful about the lineups he's putting out there um, because scoring droughts were a real thing. You know, like th- those happened a lot. The, the most recent, I think it was the most recent game, you can remind me if I'm wrong, but the last time they played the Bucks during the regular season I believe they really lost that game near the end of the second quarter and they were up I think like 10ish or whatever and by the time they got to the halftime it was down to like 2 because um, nurse had put in a lineup and, and I, there were injuries at that time of course but he put in a lineup where there essentially was you know zero creation and the raptors just couldn't score and add to that that the bucks are a really good defensive team uh, they they couldn't score and that was kind of the difference in the game the bucks went on a run and then in the second half they just came out and ended it um, like the like it's yeah, like you're that, saying the margins are really the, thin that
1: game you that game you're talking about was without Norman Powell or Mark Gasol, who were obviously important but yeah it, the the bucks are just that kind of team i mean i have been on this pretty much all season people aren't giving this bucks team enough respect.
0: No, <laughs> they really they care. really aren't. They are. Yeah, you're right.
1: Uh, like the, you can't like you can't take possessions off against the bucks. No. They'll kill you on it. You can't let them go on a run. Um you you lose the game if you do. And you know, they lost to the Lakers right before the season ended. Uh, right before the season went on suspension, they lost four of their last five games and they had some tough losses in there. But even despite that, this is a scary team and they are going to be a nightmare to eliminate in the playoffs. So, you know, maybe the Raptors make it through them, but it's going to be a war. Yeah. And if the Raptors get to the NBA finals out of that, those two L.A. teams are both also pretty terrifying. Yep. So, I, I'll be, if we get an NBA playoffs, if the Raptors can come into it healthy and well-prepared, I'll take whatever we get. I'm, I'm going to be going in as a fan with trying to keep my expectations mm. from getting too high and trying to just enjoy what we get because this is the icing on the cake. Last year was the cake.
0: Yes, yeah, I agree. I mean, that's the thing that I've I've talked about when the season was going on. I talked about that a lot was expectations change everything. Um nobody I don't these expectations of the Raptors potentially being able to repeat or even making the finals. They weren't a thing before the season. And then the season started, everyone was talking about it's a development season. You know, we're going to let OG and Siakam grow um the long term plan is to go after Giannis all that stuff and then the season starts the raptors get off to a hot start siakam looks like a top 10 player and all of a sudden it's time for the raptors to repeat so you know a lot of it's everything's expectation based and and, and narrative based largely but um yeah so uh, it's
1: that it's that Lakers game in November that game changed everything expectation wise i think yeah
0: yeah, I would agree with you, and that was that was probably my favorite game of the season. I mean, it was it was so fun. But yeah, uh, okay. So that kind of leads into my last question here about the Raptors, um, and it's it's similar. We've already talked about Siakam, but I'm curious about what you think of the internal improvements that the Raptors have made um, from this from last season to this season um, that we've seen, and will would those carry over, you know, into the playoffs? So, for example. Um, there's a bunch of guys you could name here, but like, I mean, Terrence Davis is a rookie. Um, ronde Hollis Jefferson wasn't on the team last year, but even those guys throughout the course of the season have made, um, you know, in-house improvements if you want to call them that way. Um, Norman Powell's having the best career, best career, best season of his career. Um, oh well, yeah, he,
1: Norm, Norm was incredible those last couple of weeks.
0: <laughs> oh man, he's been he's fantastic, man. He was so good. He's just I, changed some some things that that have just. It, all he really needed to do was tweak a couple of things, and his confidence uh, needed to shoot up. And all of a sudden, he's like the perfect modern role player. Um, uh, in terms
1: of my confidence in it in it playing out, yeah, my I, I would say I'm the most confident that Norman Powell will that what he's become as a scorer will stick. I think okay. this is. We saw glimpses of this throughout his career. He just needed to kind of develop the confidence, confidence and comfort level, and the things that he needed to work on were things like, you know, not leaving layups at the rim, which has been a problem for him for years. Yeah. And he's his finishing is better. The shooting's always been there. Like it, that's always been there. So I I've, I'm reasonably confident that sticks. I'm. So a little bit less confident with OG's offensive growth. Mm-hmm. I think there's still going to be some growing pains along the way for him. But I, I go back to summer league last year, before the season started, when uh, we were looking at his, his shooting form and the way he'd remade it last season already. There were fantastic improvements in just the the aesthetics of his shot. And that showed forward in some of his better offensive performances to finish out the season. It is just like he's... He's improved his mechanics, and I think that can stay. I think the off-dribble stuff is going to continue to be hit or miss, and who knows with that. Um, Terrence Davis, I'm just comfortable saying he is this player. Like he's it, he's confident, he's comfortable. He's a guy who's going to be a player in the league for a long time. Yep. On the other hand. I have no idea what to expect from like Rondé and Chris Boucher in the playoffs. Mm. And I'd like to say the Raptors are going to get good minutes from one of those two guys. I just don't know. Rondé's such a situational use player. And when he's taken out of the situation where he succeeds, he really struggles. And Boucher is a very talented player who I don't think is at the point in his career yet where he excels in team concepts. Mm. And that concerns being a playoff environment
0: yeah yeah i would agree with those things for sure especially ronde's situational use um he's really good uh, at times especially when he catches guys off guard um as well but uh yeah he, he really needs to be put in the right spots to succeed Abaco was having maybe the best season of his career i wonder if that is the type of thing that carries over to the playoffs with him i mean he's he's a you know a tested tried and true veteran of the playoffs at this point So you wonder if that makes it more or less likely that that would carry over just because – is it more likely because he kind of knows what it takes already? Is it less likely just because he's got all these miles on him and the Raptors being healthy changing some things or whatever? But, yeah, I'd be interested to see with him. And then Van Vliet, I think, is one of the biggest ones that people have looked at as well because, you know, he he largely is still great at what he's great at. And what he's great at, he's better than almost anybody uh, relocating – Running around, uh, spot up shooting, playing off ball next to other great creators. Defensively he's a fantastic player. He's one of the best guys at digging in on drives that I've ever seen, poking balls loose. Somehow he manages to do all this with like the tiniest wingspan ever. And yet Yeah,
1: I think he, I think he's the absolute best defender in the league at, at dig downs into the post. Yeah.
0: <laughs> like, it's, it's it's so good. Like he every single one he times them perfectly.
1: Um but I mean, with Van Vliet, it's it's two things. Number yeah. one, he's shooters are always going to be streaker, streaky, especially volume shooters. Yeah. So he's going to be hot and cold. That's that's not him being hot or cold. That's what shooters are. Yeah. And number two, he has to be used in the right situations. Sure. And if you f- if you looked at where Fred was great this season, and you looked at where he struggled this season. A lot of it generally follows the trends of the injuries. When guys who allow him to play his game were in the lineup, he was great. When Lowry and Gasol, a couple of those other guys who really are necessary to keep Fred in the positions where he succeeds, when those guys aren't there, Fred struggles. So health is going to be a big part of what happens to the Raptors in the playoffs. And as much as I'd like to say two months off means their health will be fine in the playoffs, I mean, who who could possibly know what injuries are going to
0: happen? Uh, who knows with this team, especially. Yeah. always Something always happens, especially eyes. Can we? Can, can we? Can Can they wear goggles or something, like ones <laughs> that they like or something? Because, like, I'm just afraid that at some point they're all going to lose their eyeballs. Um, <laughs> this is going to be a thing.
1: It, and Kyle Lowry is somehow still going to be a great NBA player without eyes.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, I, I, Kyle Lowry is like, uh, he's like the Black Knight in Monty Python. You just keep cutting <laughs> off his limbs, and he's just still yelling at you, like, is that all you got? Like, let's go! Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm ready to do this! Yeah. Yeah, So, uh, and the other thing I just wanted to quickly mention with Van Vliet is that um, I think he's actually been better in a couple areas than, than he was, like, last season, um, that people don't talk about too much, because he's still not, like, elite at them, but I think he's getting a little bit better and you still ideally don't want him doing a lot of it. But because of the way this team is set up with the limited creators they have and some of the lineups they have to run, he has to do it sometimes. And I think he's been a little bit better at doing stuff like running the pick and roll this season. Like I I think he's been a lot better at making passes out of those scenarios, like a lot better.
1: Yeah. I, I I think I would give some of that credit to Marcus Hall. Yeah, Um, for sure. I think, (laughs) I think Mark is a, has I have also noticed that with Terrence Davis is with both of those guys. I think the more reps they get in running pick and rolls with Mark Gasol, the better they get at it. Because I think, I think Mark's a pretty good on court coach at getting, you know, teaching the point guards what he wants from them. Mm -hmm. And a lot of what he wants from guys in the pick and roll game is what every big wants. I mean, Mark's not a vertical threat. You know, there's, there's a little bit of that, but he he understands spacing. He understands how to use space and how to use his body to set good screens and then how to find himself in a position where he can, where if the guard needs an outlet, he's there to help move to the next stage of the offense, even if that's not, you know, he's not going to go in and dunk it off a screen. Mm-hmm. I mean, Mark dunked it once this season, and my Twitter feed was uh, <laughs> uh, 150 people different uh, tweeting that they didn't know Mark Gasol could still dunk.
0: Yeah. 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 I, I don't, I don't, I, don't re- I remember the dunk, but I don't even remember. Like, I don't remember what my reaction was, but I must've been stunned. That's all I remember. Ugh. So. Yeah. Yeah. So I think like, I, I wonder if, the, I wonder if that, that stuff can carry over in a, in a, in a, playoff series. Cause I feel like he would have to do it sometimes, Van Vleet. But that's one of the things I'd be curious about, to see I don't know if he can do it or not but he's definitely done it a little bit more this season getting those reps I think was important to him and to the team obviously for team success but also to him as a player to show that uh you know he can do it like he's willing to take on these challenges I remember early in the season and I I talked to Fred and we didn't specifically talk about this for a a feature I did on Fred but I remember talking with him a little bit about you know like he's he was locked in about you know showing what he could do for the season because he's going to be a free agent you know, and he's always been the bet on himself guy. So, um, he was ready to take on more responsibility and, 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 uh, you know, improve in areas where people have said that he needs improvement and stuff like that. So I'd be, I'd be curious to see if that work and those reps uh, would carry over to the playoffs. And, um, you know, Fred's definitely not a guy we've seen this for sure. We are, we know that he's definitely not a guy who's afraid of the moment. He's a guy that will take the shot if you need him to, and, and, you know, take the drive if you need him to whatever. So that stuff, that's a,
1: that's a weird one with this Raptors team that I have no idea how to really work into playoff expectations. Is They have a lot of irrational confidence, guys.
0: They do. It's kind of great and kind of terrifying. Like,
1: you know, you go down the list, Lowry, Van Vliet, Terrence Davis, Norman Powell, Pascal Siakam, Serge Ibaka, even Marc Gasol when, it, when he has to. All of these guys will take a shot if they have to from anywhere on the court. Yeah. I mean, we talked a lot during the playoffs last year about Mark and his unwillingness to shoot, but there were also times where he just fired away.
0: One of of the most exciting things was when he, I think it was like the first injury or maybe the second one, I can't remember at this point, that he came back from this season and he was talking about how he needed to make up for all the buckets that he didn't get to shoot. And he like came out those first few games and was just scoring. And it was like, this is great. Like, where's this version of Gasol been? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the Raptors
1: are just, like, uh, teams take a lot out of being champions. They take a lot of, mentally, of, you know, we can do whatever, um, you know, we can win it all again because we have that confidence we've been there. Yeah. It, I don't know if I can remember another champion that was full of guys who, as full of guys who didn't have that confidence before as this Raptors team. Like, this, this is a team of guys who were... Universally under almost universally underlooked, and the two guys who had that respect from fans and media as you know, guys who can win it all are the two guys who left. Yeah, <laughs> so the guys who were left here are the guys who were underrated and they brought that confidence with them of the chip on their shoulder that they used to have combined with the success of getting to that height. And then you take a guy like Terrence Davis, who wasn't there last year, who somehow seems to have gotten by transference that confidence of, mm-hmm. you know, we're the champions, even yeah. though he's really not one of them. Yep. So, yeah. I it, mean, it, it, it's, it's it's just been such a fun season, and I, I want more of it, and I hope the Raptors can get back there.
0: Yeah. It's one of those things that Nick Nurse exudes too, right? I think that's part of it for the new guys when they're in the locker room. Like, the players exude it 100%, but Nick Nurse does too, like – you know, you show up for training camp and Nick Nurse is like, Look, this is like this is a championship team now, like a championship organization. Like this is the these are the high standards we're holding you to. So these guys and they're surrounded by guys who just won a title, the new the newer players on the team. And uh, I remember early on in the season there like some of them I think were a little like they hadn't been in that kind of scenario before, so they were a little taken aback maybe by it. But um, you know, by the, by the time the NBA was going into hiatus, they'd all basically just taken on that same mantle, um, and, and they were like, yeah, heck yeah, we're the defending NBA champions, let's go, even if they weren't there for the title.
1: Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, my favorite Nick Nurse picture is the picture of him stepping off the plane, wearing the sunglasses with the guitar at his back, because that's just, like, the confidence that he gives off, is he's the guy who's just, like, everything about life is he can handle it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's... Oh. Like, I don't think these Raptors are, I don't expect them to be a team that competes for a championship if we get a real playoffs. However, if they did somehow find themselves in a, in a situation where they were back in the finals, I, I wouldn't be that shocked.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if I would be either. Maybe a little bit, because I, I just think so highly of the Bucks, but... Um, But I wouldn't, it wouldn't be like a total surprise to me. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be like, wow, I never would have anticipated this. So yeah, I agree. But I think that's probably uh, a good spot to leave off for now, man. Was it good to talk about basketball again? Was it good to, um, you know, do this podcast again? I wasn't sure I was gonna be able to do this podcast. I haven't been doing these pods, not because I haven't wanted to, but because of uh, internet connection issues mostly but uh seemed to work out pretty well for now so maybe there'll be more of these in the future as always I want to thank you for coming on Anthony is there anything you want to plug before we go I know there's not much going on right now but uh, I gotta ask so
1: not really no I mean I as always my twitter at Anthony SM but I, don't, I just thank you for having me on thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about basketball again I have missed it
0: <laughs> yeah I, I and you know what 's funny like, I missed it, but i didn 't realize exactly how much I missed it until we started bas- talking about basketball again <laughs> holy crap oh man we'll so much.
1: we'll uh, we'll, f- we'll have to figure out a, a time to do this again sometime
0: <laughs> yeah oh, and I, I should mention if you 're listening to this and you 've enjoyed this, and um typically when I do these podcasts with Anthony in the past, like these are some of the more um, listened to of my uh, podcasts on writer's right um for whatever reason people seem to like. Uh, our connection, um, and I always enjoy it, um, and so we have another show called Switching Screens that we do when there's actual basketball to talk about, uh, <laughs> so right now it's not on, but uh, it will be, I'm sure, as soon as basketball comes back, we'll be doing it again, so look out for that, keep an eye on that, um, but for this podcast, it is called the Writers Right Podcast, uh, you can find it on anchor.fm the Anchor app, if you have that, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, all these good places. Uh, you can follow the podcast on Twitter. It does have a Twitter, at Writers Write Pod. I post links there to episodes. And until then, you can follow me on Twitter, at HowVolution. It's still there, tweeting about missing basketball. Um, and occasionally, you can find my own online written work at places like Raptors Republic. Uh, you can find Anthony's stuff there, too. And occasionally, I'm also at SportsNet.ca. Other than that, thank you for listening, and... Hopefully we will have basketball back soon. Stay
1: safe.